Hello there, folks, and thank you for listening to the show. I'm Joanna. I'm Nate, and we are Stranger Than, a podcast discussing unsolved mysteries, weird occurrences, misunderstood phenomena, and creepy happenings. As always, the Stranger Than podcast logo art is brought to you by Cthulhu Art. The link is in the show notes. Lost cities. We are going to focus on three lost cities. We're going to talk about Atlantis, Lemuria, and El Dorado. So what should we do first? Let's start with Lemuria. Okay. And then we will go to El Dorado, and then we'll end on Atlantis. Madagascar is the only place that lemurs live. In the late 1800s, zoologist Philip Slater discovered fossils of lemurs in India. This led him to believe that there must have been a way, back in the day, that critters could have been in both of these areas. He suggested a land bridge, but others have put forth that this could have been a huge continent. He called this landmass Lemuria. Lemur, Lemuria. Yes, I see where you're going with this. Yep, yep. <laughs> it's also sometimes called Mu. You know, Lemuria, Mu. Yeah, so yeah. just M-U. Yeah, yep, yep. This idea was embraced by Ernst Heinrich Haeckel, who believed this is why they had not found remains of early man. They must have all originated on this lost continent. And since it was underwater, we Same. couldn't get to yeah. it. Yeah, okay. We, of course, now have found remains of early man in Africa. At this time, his ideas were considered sound. It should be said that science has not found any evidence of submerged continents in the area Lemuria is supposed to be. The ocean there is actually too deep for there to have been a continent underneath it. Because it's the Indian Ocean. Yes. Or part of the Pacific Ocean, too. It kind of depends. Mm-hmm. It's possible that Lemuria was actually an archipelago and or subcontinents as opposed to a massive continent. That could much more easily be swallowed up by the ocean in a way that we may not be able to detect 12,000 years later. A subcontinent is bigger than an island, but smaller than a continent like Greenland. It may also differ significantly politically or be geographically isolated from an actual continent like India. An archipelago is a series of islands. Another thing about land submerging, it doesn't happen fast. Geological events are notoriously slow, so the chance of catching a people off guard with an event like a continent or even an island submerging is not very likely. And certainly not just overnight, not just suddenly like, bam, it's gone. Mm -hmm. The area that is this continent or archipelago or whatever uh, took up was vast. It was to have sat north of Australia, east of Madagascar, and south of India in that expansive ocean. So it's like just giant. Mm -hmm. Lemuria is supposed to be old as shit. Its habitation dates back to 4,500,000 BCE. We know humans were not around that long ago. So, right. <laughs> so what do you think was living in Lemuria? Lemurs? Sadly, no. <laughs> aliens. Oh, aliens. There okay. were aliens from Sirius, from Alpha Centauri, a few other planets. Uh, present in large numbers were the Pleiadians. They were a benevolent bunch of Thor-looking folks from the Pleiades star system. All these aliens hung out and interbred and evolved and had a a pretty pleasant time of things for a few million years. Apparently at this time there are also elemental spirits, which, though are allegedly still around, are invisible to the human eye. 
This group of beings initially had pretty long lifespans, but time on the planet, blending with the elemental spirits and mixing of DNA amongst each other, began changing their bodies and decreasing their lifespans. Okay. It's said that they existed in a fifth dimensional space and could hop back and forth between there and our third dimension. Jesus fucking Christ. And like the evidence for any of this is what? Well, mainly psychics. (laughs) Duh. Psychics. Okay. Mainly. Uh, They lost this ability through a fall in consciousness. Uh, The Lemurians were supposed to have been shapeshifters, having the ability to transform their bodies. Hmm. They could not only change all of themselves, but only just like parts of themselves as well. So they could like make themselves have like a crab claw and a chicken leg or something. Why would you want a chicken leg? I don't know. Maybe you needed to scratch at like grubs. I, I can see the the fun of a crab claw. Yeah, yeah. I would like crab claw the shit out of people that I hated. Totally. I would or totally, like crab claw and bite the neck and just be like, look, motherfucker. Or like a velociraptor talons. <laughs> that yeah. would be cool. Just on the one hand. Just on the one, and, and you could shapeshift, I mean, like, so you could talons, do like as you just, needed yeah. it. I mean, talons would just be really hard to, you know. Well, you could shapeshift, so as you needed it, you wouldn't need it. Would need to be out all the time. Lemurians are also said to change themselves physically in reaction to mood. So maybe when they're sad, they kind of turn like physically blue a little bit. I was going to say, do they turn blue like a mood? Like mean? perhaps, or like they've got like little dots that make different shapes depending upon what they're thinking or feeling or something like that. Mm. They were very humble, no sprawling palaces or great works of architecture. They didn't have presidents or monarchs. They would simply band together to complete the tasks that needed to get done, hmm. like non-totalitarian communism of oh, sorts, okay. I guess. <laughs> the fall of Lemuria is told in a couple ways, several ways. There'll be a few stories about Lemuria here because there's not just one, of course. Well, why would there be? Why would there be? The first one I'll talk about is... That over thousands and millions of years, the, the oceans slowly carved away bits and pieces of Lemurian land, forcing the inhabitants to find new places to live. Some chose to turn into animals and live that way. Because they could shapeshift and stuff. Because they could shapeshift, so they just turned into like a whale and were like, fuck it, I'll just be a whale now. <laughs> um, others became pieces of the land. Okay. And still others were said to have descended into hollow earth. Ah. There's actually a lot we will be hearing about hollow earth. A lot of the same people that believe in Lemuria believe in hollow earth and also in Atlantis. So it's kind well, yeah, of, yeah, uh, cause, uh, you know, obviously when they sank, they went into the, the hollow middle space. Of well, that's where they're in the, the people that, I mean, we'll get to, we'll get to all of it. And I think we actually covered some of it in the hollow earth episode itself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, we, I talked about, the Jules Verne and Journey to the Center of the Earth. Yeah, I talked about Jules Verne and Journey to the Center of the Earth in that ap- episode. And when they reached the center of the Earth, that's when they actually discovered the lost city of Atlantis. Oh yeah, yeah. They end up in Atlantis and they get they actually escape the center of the Earth by getting into like what the professor coined as a heathen altar stone was basically a big giant disc kind of like a bowl and they all climbed into it and uh, went on an adventure back up through the volcano mm-hmm. another narrative is that instead of the lemurians being a bunch of commune living hippies they were a technologically and a spiritually advanced civilization that got into a thermonuclear altercation with another lost city atlantis we'll be talking oh, about them okay, so later it's like on an atlantis lemuria war going on that's right about 25,000 years ago, Lemuria Atlantis and Atlantis got into a fight. 
the Lemurians believe that the primitive creatures evolving on the planet, us, should be allowed to do so at our own pace. Mm-hmm. The Atlanteans believe that they should control the direction and pace of our evolution. This brought them to blows, and by blows I mean nukes. Once the fighting was complete, they found that due to the war, both Lemuria and Atlantis were going to sink in around 15,000 years. Man, who the fuck came up with that theory? Because oh, like the, this whole particular story or who thought it was the... The whole particular the... story about the, the nukes one, you know. Oh, I don't know who came up with the story. This is just another story that I found. Mm, okay. Uh, this could have been the, the one from the Theosophical Society because uh, <laughs> they have a lot to say about this. It could have been one that just got put together through psychics and various mediums and clairvoyance who just a random person on the internet putting a bunch of shit together like <laughs> it could, well i did find it in several places so at least it's well circulated shit someone once submitted it as a science fiction story and now everyone's like hey this might have happened <laughs> hey it's not like people haven't thought that before i mean there is a, an entire set of books written by a guy that people yeah. follow as a religion well it even wasn't written by that guy Lots of guys wrote that stuff. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Which one are you talking about? Uh, the L. Ron Hubbard's writings. Oh, okay. I thought you were talking about the Bible. Oh, no. I Because mean, I'm like, what the fuck? I mean, yes, but... <laughs> but that was probably written less as science fiction than... Yeah, no, yeah. no, I get, I get where that. I was, yeah. I was just slow to slow on the uptake. I That's was fine. Slow on the uptake on that one, on that reference. But yeah, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> well, the average lifespan of these people at the time was twenty five thousand years. Wow. So most of them were that were involved were going to experience the fall of these two uh, islands. Mm-hmm. I guess they must have they like had. Did they have like a lot of vitamins? Like, what's the reason that they lived so long? Uh, better genes. They weren't actually humans. They were mm-hmm. aliens still at this point. They weren't. You know, I don't think they were nailing humans yet. There may, yeah, I don't think so because they were talking about humans evolving still. So they're probably like still Homo erectus and shit running around. They're like, yeah, we're not gonna <laughs> fuck that. It's like fucking a monkey. <laughs> you remember Agartha? You know that place in the Hollow Earth? No. Yes, you do. I don't because there were so many things about Hollow Earth that. Well, our listeners may remember it. Well, Lemuria petitioned the big boss of Agartha to ask if it, and asked if it was cool that they build an underground safe space where they could save the stuff from their civilization, along with some people from the threat they now faced. They had to jump through a bunch of hoops, but they were eventually granted permission to do this. Underneath Mount Shasta and what's now California, they built the city of Telos. The subterranean city was built to hold a maximum of 200,000 people. Only 25,000 made it. Apparently, the cataclysm happened a bit earlier than expected, and with such violence and speed that Lemuria was gone overnight. Many of the victims didn't even have time to wake up before they were killed, while others chose to go down with the land they loved. Fortunately, all the records and knowledge had already been moved to Telos. Oh, well, yeah, that is fortunate. Have we found those records? We have not found (laughs) Telos, but it's under Mount Shasta someplace. Now, let's back up, because... That legend is not the only legend of Lemuria. I was wrong earlier when I said that was a theosophy legend. I don't know exactly where that particular legend came from, but this is the theosophy one that I'm coming out with now. Okay. This one was proposed by Madame Elena Petrovana Blavatsky, the founder of theosophy. We've talked about that briefly in a couple episodes. I'm sure we'll eventually do an episode about it. 
Blavatsky said that she learned about Lemuria from the Book of Dizan, a book allegedly written in Atlantis and shown to her by the Mahatmas. The Mahatmas are the teachers of the occult arts, holders of esoteric wisdom, and according to Madame Blavatsky, two of them were the true founders of theosophy. In her writings about Lemuria, she did give props to Philip Shatler for coming up with the catchy name. According to Blavatsky, Lemuria sat in the Indian Ocean roughly 150 million years ago. Roughly. Roughly, okay. Some believe that she may have kind of ripped off this story. The story was about the land of Rudis. It was the old east coast of India that has since fallen into the ocean. It's written about in religious texts and is referred to as the land of fire. It supposedly was submerged between 12 and 8,000 BCE. Lemurians were described by Blavatsky as being... An egg-laying race with psychic powers gained from a third eye. Mm. I'm not sure if Was the... that like a literal third eye or just like your mind's third eye or whatever? I, I find evidence for both. Hmm. These psychic powers allow them to function without a brain somehow. I'm not sure how that evolution came about, but I'm just a simple human. She also said that the Lemurians were bisexual and that their discovery of sex is what led to their downfall. Oh. Which doesn't really make much sense to me. That, These, sound, that sounds like more like that's that's coming from the heart there. That was some Victorian uh, <laughs> what have you then. Right. Some uh, total like, hang-ups about sex oh, yeah. at the time. And, mm-hmm. These claims were made in her book she published in 1888 called The Secret Doctrine. In 1896, another theosophist published a book about Lemuria. This book is called The Story of Atlantis and the Lost Lemuria, written by W. Scott Elliott. And it talks about how the Lemurians were so sexually depraved that certain spiritual beings refused to incarnate into their bodies, going against the cosmic plan, Joanna. Mm. Going against the cosmic plan. You know, I think sometimes these people just wanted a reason to write about sexual depravity. So, <laughs> And like, honestly... Not doing it missionary style was considered sexual depravity to them. So, right. and, like, but I think people are kind of fascinated. The only way you're going to be able to like write about it is through some like really weird uh, conjecture about like some made up place and like oh obviously oh no the sex depra- was crazy yeah, they the kissed with tongues it was depraved yeah. as fuck mm-hmm. and that of course is what led to their downfall because they did it with candles lit it was disgusting yeah <laughs> just a thought. <laughs> He also says that this place was so big, it stretched from Africa across both Indian and Pacific Oceans. Wow. 14,000 years ago, Lemuria was thriving. Atlantis was on the scene as well and doing pretty good. The Lemurians at this point, I guess, tossed their sexually deviant ways, and they were super into the land. Lemurian holy people began to get inklings from the Earth that the Earth is changing and that they need to be prepared. This change would culminate in the great flood spoken about in religious mythology worldwide. For the next two to three thousand years, Lemurians began spreading their knowledge to all other people on the planet. They hoped that this information would become genetic knowledge so that it would never be forgotten. In addition to this dicey-ass plan, they also decided to store some information in crystals, which seems a lot more legit than hoping that humans were going to do something right. The safest place to keep these crystals was underground, where there was a network of tunnels that they'd also begun mapping. The signs came about a year before the flood, and the folks doing all the prep work headed underground, where they now had a pretty sweet setup. 
The flood comes and kills a shitload of people. Uh, the waters then recede and the Lemurians emerge from the earth. This emergence is the one that many cultures talk about in their creation myths. The Hopi being one of them. We spoke more in depth about the Hopi in guess what episode? The Hollow Earth. The Hollow Earth episode. Most of what is known about Lemuria comes from clairvoyants, psychics, and mediums. However, there are legends told by many cultures around the area. Lemuria is believed to have been about a great seeking land. The Maoris, with the cursed masks from last episode of New Zealand. Mm -hmm. The people that lived on the Easter Islands. The Samoans. And even the Mayans. Though there is some controversy around the Mayan quote-unquote translation done of that speak about the sinking of the continent. But mm -hmm. regardless, there's some weird shit out there. Like off the coast of Japan, there's that underwater pyramid at the Yonaguni site that no one's really sure about. And then some believe that Lemuria is still exists in the fourth and fifth dimensions, that only the third dimensional aspect of it was destroyed. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Now back to Telos. Remember Telos? That's the yes. It's one under Mount Shasta. It was built under what eventually we will be called Mount Shasta, and what eventually will be called California. The city was ruled by a king and queen named Ranu Mu and Ra, respectively. These two are ascended masters as well as twin flames. I'm not sure if the flame thing is meant literally or not. The monarchs were the ultimate rulers of Telos, but they also had a council that ruled called the Lemurian Council of Light of Telos, mm. which just rolls right off the tongue. <laughs> and it doesn't even make a good, like, we just take the letters, what is that called, an anagram? Uh, an acronym. Acronym. It doesn't even make a good acronym. L-C-O-L-O-T. -L it's just not, yeah. Yeah, it should be more like the Fellowship of the Rings. I mean, that's a good. Or just the Council of Light. Mm -hmm. That would be just fine. <laughs> I mean, did they really need to call it Lemur Lemurian Council of Light of Telos? At any rate, doesn't matter. It was six men and six women. Uh, and then there was a 13th member, which was the high priest, who uh, sat at the head. And he was just there to officiate meetings and break ties and votes and stuff. Telos is a fairly large city with about a million and a half inhabitants. I'm not sure if they expanded it well down there to accommodate for the extra several hundreds of thousands of people or what. But we're just going to ignore that discrepancy. Oh, yeah, that's the discrepancy. That's that's the one that we're just going to have to because, <laughs> you know, earlier have to take it face value. Well, 200,000 to to, um, <laughs> you know, a million and a half is that's that's a we're lot. We're just going to gloss over that one. That okay. one's that's I, the I one. Yeah. Uh, the city because is up until that point. I was totally <laughs> you were with me. Like you were everything. with me. You're like, dude, let's fucking go to Lemuria. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, the city is split into five levels. Level one is where most of the residences are. You find temples and stores and public buildings. Just a regular city, basically. Uh, level two is more residences, but also manufacturing and production. There's some schools down there for kids and adults, so colleges and shit. Do you think there's like appropriate signage? I think there so. For like I, all these different levels? I think, well, I don't know. They're pretty psychic. Like go, so to, go to level two. For... You probably just <laughs> know because you're psychic. The third level is where food is grown. Seven acres of hydro hydroponic gardens. Along there's, there's a few more hydroponic gardens in the level below, but all of this produces enough food in both amount and variety to keep everyone fed and happy. So that's great. There's also some manufacturing down, plants down in level four. <laughs> there's also some parks and fountains. And then the fifth level is just wilderness. There's some animals, all herbivores, because they don't want any 
Nothing that'll like kill you and eat no, you. No, no meat eating is going on here. Mm, they're too enlightened for that, huh? That, that's true. And <laughs> some of them that of the animals that live there are also extinct on the on the surface. The city, as you've also probably guessed, is highly advanced technologically. They have electromagnetic elevators and subway trains that can reach speeds of 3,000 miles per hour, 4,828 kilometers an hour. Oh, my God. I cannot mm. even believe you did that. <laughs> yeah, I know. So out of character. These trains connect Telos to other underground cities, of which apparently there's over 100. The group of cities is known as the Agarthan Network, and its government is seated in Shambhala. There's this thing called the Confederation of Planets, of which the, the Lemurians are a part of. I suppose it's like NAFTA or the European Union. I don't know. I was thinking it was like, you know, Star Trek. Something like that. Don't they have a Confederation of Planets? I think they just have a Federation of Planets, right? Yeah, maybe that's it. Yeah. The Lemurians want to come back to the surface. Not only do they want to do it, but they are actually planning on how to. They call these plans the Emergence and the Ascension. You know, for such enlightened, smart, technologically advanced people, I'm surprised that they just haven't made that happen. Well, they, Or do they supposedly make that happen? Well, here's the deal is that... Are they walking amongst us now? They want to come up... They, they want to like basically pop up from underground and be like, hey, we're here. But they also... That's the, that's the emergence, obviously. But the ascension is they're getting us to uh, ascend to the fifth dimension. And that's what they call the ascension. So they want to do it in a way where we're not freaking out. So we'll accept their teachings and they'll be able to make us... Like help us to ascend spiritually. And, you know, everyone will be all like cool and stuff i guess well i guess no matter how smart and advanced and enlightened you are there's just uh, no easy way to make human beings um, do stuff do stuff yeah <laughs> you're not wrong you're not wrong and so that's that is what i've got on lemuria well that was fascinating that was fascinating lemuria is a hell of a place mm-hmm. i would like to thank all the different people who had uh, way too much time on their hands to come up with this shit for <laughs> putting that out there so that it could be, be found and read and, and put into this episode <laughs> there's tons of books and shit on lemuria and atlantis it's it's amazing it's amazing it's amazing how many works of fiction are out there it's absolutely amazing <laughs> and they all have they all have they're just like no this is this is how it's working out mm-hmm so tell us a little bit about El Dorado. Actually, tell us a lot about El Dorado. I'm supposed to tell you a lot about El Dorado? Tell us what you got. <laughs> so El Dorado basically translates to the Gilded One. Apparently the legend began with the Spanish explorers is how they were uh, often referenced as. But, you know, I, I would call them more like invaders. Conquistadors. And, yeah, pillagers. Well, I think there was like explorers, but then conquistadors. Oh, after. it was a different thing. Yeah, because, or maybe that it was just kind of going on at the same time. Right. I think because you know most of the explorers were looking for gold and didn't mind exploiting and killing natives in order to get it. Well, um, the I think the conquistadors were... kind of came after that because they heard about all the gold back there, and so then they're like, okay, well, I'm gonna, you know. I'm going to make my fortune going out there too and, and also killing the natives and robbing yeah, killing the natives, converting them and robbing them of all their gold. 
That was like the general thing that happened. But they saved their souls, Joanna. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> the legend of El Dorado, I guess, uh, started with natives telling the Spanish about a tribe that was located in the Andes whose chief uh, upon becoming chief every time there's a new chief they would have a ceremony and they would literally like paint his body in gold dust they would also go down to a lake uh, Lake Guadavita and throw gold into it to like appease the gods or yeah. what have you and when all the conquistadors and explorers and slash exploiters and killers were going down there, I mean, they did find a shitload of gold. So I think at, at one point the story evolved to where not only is there this tribe out there that throws gold into the lake and has a chief who gets painted in gold, but also their their entire fucking city must be made out of gold because there must be some sort of source uh within the interior of the jungles that must have all this gold like you know because where does all this other gold come from that they've already found right well i mean got that much gold kicking around you're just tossing gold into the river i can into the right lake, so I can there must see, be like, this like, like one fuck. central place that just has like, they like just don't care about yeah this shit. that they just haven't found that has like you know that is like the mother load of gold that started what became one of many searches for the lost city. And to date, we have not found El Dorado or the lost city of gold. There are a couple of famous people, though, who tried unsuccessfully to find it. The first of which was, well, not the first, but the first one I'm going to just talk about would be Sir Walter Raleigh. Oh, and, we know him. Yeah. <laughs> And he made two unsuccessful attempts to find El Dorado. So on his second trip, his son Watt was killed in a battle with the Spanish, because the Spanish were also down there around the same time. Right, and they weren't really getting along very well. Right, they didn't get along, and they were also looking for gold in the Golden Cities, exploiting people, killing people, what have you. So they had a little disagreement, and his son ends up dead. And the guy that was with uh, Walter Raleigh's son when he died came back and told him the news and basically Raleigh like um, accused him of abandoning his son and betraying him because he was alive and his son was dead. So obviously this guy fucked up somehow. Right, right. And this guy freaked out so bad that he actually went into uh, his quarters and killed himself oh jesus yeah and then sir walter raleigh returns to england where he is then beheaded by king james <laughs> <laughs> because king james was like pissed i think there's probably like a more than one factor with that but the the one that was named was that raleigh hadn't obeyed his had disobeyed his orders by uh, getting in conflict with the Spanish, which, you know, they were told not to do. It's like, you can go down there, but do not be starting Don't be fucking shit. with the Spanish, yeah, yeah. don't be starting up shit with the Spanish. Like, I don't want to deal with that fucking shit. And What did he do? What did he do? Exactly what he was told <laughs> not to. Yep. Like, God damn it. Yeah, so... That's Raleigh! <laughs> and he ended up losing his head. So another notable one is... Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Percy Fawcett. 
Yeah, that was the guy that they made the actual uh, movie out, uh, after, right? Right, or the, about, lost, the yeah, lost, lost City, City of Z. Z. Mm-hmm. Didn't like that movie. I liked it some, but not like as much as I thought I would. Yeah, it never really uh, had any sort of climax. It was unfortunate. It was. It was one of those ones where the previews were really excellent for it. And yeah. Like, oh, shit, this is going to be so cool. But Yeah, it was. Yeah. There was a really cool, like, piranha, like, eating. That's scene. true. Yeah. That was that was pretty cool, but I was not and really Charlie Hunnam is hot, so you know that doesn't appeal to me so much. So. Yeah, well, so I mean, anything that he's in, I'm just gonna be like, okay, I, I can I can enjoy it. myself somehow, some way, just by somehow, just some by, way, just by looking at him. <laughs> so, Lieutenant Colonel Percival Fawcett was an explorer. Uh, he was a very successful surveyor. And was a veteran of World War One. So in 1925, he, along with his son Jack, who was 21 at the time, and Jack's friend Raleigh Rimmel, uh, set off to find a city. And he called the city Z or Zed. And all three were never seen again. They probably called it Zed because they were British. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's we'll call it Z name. because... <laughs> Because we're not British. We're not. We're American, and <laughs> so we call it Z. I think we're the only ones that call it Z. Probably. That's okay. That's all right. The Fawcett had successfully surveyed a lot of remote areas uh, previous to this expedition, so he knew a lot about what he was doing. He he did a lot of the he surveyed a lot of the jungle that had bordered Brazil and Bolivia. He was a member of the Royal Geographic Society. Right. And, Not shocking. Yeah. <laughs> and then he also uh, served in the ro- the Royal Artillery when he was in World War One, And he just started becoming obsessed. Like, after, like, his, you know, many expeditions out in the jungle, he became obsessed with the idea that there was a lost city out there somewhere in the, the Amazon. And... He really, really wanted to find it, and he, I think his idea was kind of that this was probably the city that was, that people were thinking of when they were searching for El Dorado. Like, he didn't really believe that there was, like, a big city made out of gold. Right. It was more just, like, I want to find the ruins of the city that probably is... Inspired all the yeah, stories. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, it was more... Because he wanted to find it, because he was... He didn't believe all the hype. He was going for what the actual was there, like what it was based on. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. That sounds pretty reasonable to me. (laughs) I feel like you're probably not... You can't expect to find a city full of gold. Right, like that's that's pretty nuts. Yeah. It's not... Mainly because it would be, it's not a great material to work with. I mean, it's soft, it's very pliable. <laughs> it just wouldn't hold, it wouldn't stand the test of time. I just feel like it's a bad building material. Right. I mean, it can be, it was used in a lot of the cities that the Spanish invaded and conquered. Like they would right. have it on the walls and they made little, like, decorations. You know, tiles out of it and stuff yeah. and they they had it for decoration but, super easy to work with but yeah i mean like an it's actual fucking everywhere <laughs> they're just like whatever who cares but trying to actually like have things like huge things made from gold like that's yeah not likely no no not at all or just a city where there's just like piles and piles of gold. i mean i don't know i'm not a huge 
believer in the fact that there was a there was a city of gold out there. I think that was something that was my theory is like that was kind of like hyped up. I mean, they came and they conquered and they took a lot of gold, and then there needed to be some incentive for more people, conquering. Going yeah, more conquering going on more, exactly. Yeah. And what better incentive than oh, there's a whole city of gold out well, there somewhere. Well, Joanna, I mean, if you think about it as gold as being a metaphor, maybe the real gold is just like the experiences and the friendship they develop on the way finding the lost city. Yeah, I'm sure that's, <laughs> that's what that... I think that's what really the lo- the El Dorado is. It's just... <laughs> it's just a metaphor for bonding and the Amazon. It's a metaphor for friendship. <laughs> friendship. Yeah. Friendship through exploring and exploiting. Through mal- malaria. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I mean, maybe somebody came up with that, you know, whether, you know, raging with like a bone crushing fever and yeah, yeah. like, you know what, you know what this journey's really about, man? <laughs> this journey's about friendship. As they're running <laughs> out of every orifice. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't even know how totally, your ears are running, totally but they are. <laughs> I can totally see that happening. Yeah. 100%. One of the things that inspired Percy Fawcett's, uh, belief that there was a lost city out there was a particular manuscript it's called manuscript 512 or 512 catchy name yes and it was allegedly written by a portuguese uh banderente which was a treasure hunter basically that's an awesome tie banderente mm-hmm. that's cool banderente I wonder if they had like wore cool sashes and had cool swords. Oh, I'm sure they did. They had I'm sure they had sashes and their swords. This yeah. was because this was written in seventeen fifty three. They had some firearms too, but they probably also mm-hmm. had swords. That's pretty cool. Yep. That's cool. I like that. All right, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> probably those long curved saber swords. Yeah, yeah. yeah cutlass. Mm-hmm. Something. So yeah, so like I said, it was dated in seventeen fifty three and described an ancient city with temples and arches and a statue. And the author describes it as actually having been there to this city. Not just he heard about it, but like, no, he was actually there. Although he rather inconveniently did not give the exact location. Oh, man. But seeing as this was a Portuguese treasure hunter in 1753, one could deduce it was um, probably somewhere in Brazil because that's where the Portuguese conquered. Oh, right. Okay. I mean, they still speak Portuguese in Brazil to this day. Oh, okay. Mm Mm-hmm. I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I think one of the few countries in, it might be the only one in South America or just one of a couple there where they speak Portuguese instead of Spanish. I'll be damned. Mm-hmm. Yep. They're very similar languages, aren't they? They are similar. Like you could hear somebody speaking Portuguese and think it was Spanish if you didn't know any Spanish, but it's actually right. like, it sounds similar, but I think it's actually like a lot different. Oh, okay. I don't know. I mean, Portugal is an island off of Spain, but... Yeah, yeah. I, I can't say with any certainty just how alike or different. I mean, people... There's a lot of dif- there's a lot of uh, likeness from... Like, between Spanish and French when it's written out. Yeah. Like, a lot of, like, the verbs are very similar but and the you, names the way for it things. sounds... Not the way it sounds at all, but the names for certain things, for, like, animals and for actions and verbs yeah 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 there's actually quite a bit of similarity between and same with italian but and it usually never mentions portuguese so i'm not sure how that compares 
All right. All right. So there's Neither that. do I. <laughs> <laughs> so the first time he tried to find the lost city of Z, that was in 1920, and that ended badly. He went solo on that mission and ended up getting super sick with a fever, and he Probably killed... Probably malaria. Yeah. <laughs> and he killed his um, pack horse, and I think that might have been like an accident because he was so like fucked up with fever. And then once he killed his pack horse and kind of realized it was like, oh, well, that sucks. That's fucking it. (laughs) Yeah. Then basically, yeah, that was it. And he had to barely make it home. (laughs) Exactly. Like barely make it home. (laughs) Fuck. Abort mission. Yeah. So five years later is when he starts the second journey and the one where, you know, he's never heard from again. So he goes with, as I said before. So the last journey, we can call it. Right, <laughs> yes. <laughs> the second, but also the last. And this is where he goes off with um, Jack and Raleigh Rimmel. Jack being his son, right? Jack was his son. Yeah, yeah, he had three children with his wife, and Jack was his oldest son. It's pretty unfortunate for his wife. Yeah, no shit. You know, you lose your husband and your son, just never fucking heard from again. Like, we're going to just, like, don't worry about us. We're just going to go into the uh, unexplored areas, like, thousands of miles away. <laughs> and it's, like, the 19-fucking-20s. Yeah. And so airplanes are barely a thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess they're pretty they're pretty in there, but they're barely safe. <laughs> Certainly not probably being used as a method to, to you know, locate people. No, probably not. Mm-mm. Maybe, depending on the situation. I guess probably but... not that particular situation. Since they, since there's not, I, I doubt there's very many places within airplane range that they could actually mm-hmm. just fly over. Yeah, and get look. to. Yeah, because even when they, when different pilots have circumnavigated the globe, they didn't do it in the air the whole time. They did it in, in separate legs and land someplace, and you know probably. Like pee oh, right. and get well, some I mean, food I and get think, refuel and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's a plane even now that could circumnavigate the globe without making any stops. I don't know. I'm pretty sure not. That would be like a lot of fuel. It's a lot of fuel. It is a lot of fuel. And that's like too heavy. Maybe. So, you're probably right. Yeah. Because I just feel like if there was a way, like there would be like super rich people doing it. Yeah. Somebody would be doing it or would have done it. So the journey starts on April 20th, 1925. And the last communication from Fawcett uh, occurred on May 29th, 1925. He wrote a letter to his wife and said that they were going um, to begin their journey into the unexplored territory. Yay! And the overall feeling, I guess, you got from the letter is that he seemed optimistic about Right, yeah, he was like, I'll, 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 I'll be writing to you again. You'll get more letters or Right, whatever. right. And the letter was sent from a place called Dead Horse Camp. So it was a place, you know, Percy had been before in his original. Uh, is that where his journey. horse had died? And that's yeah. where his horse died. That's why so. he called it Dead Horse Camp. That was, yeah, that was the area known as Dead Horse Camp. <laughs> I guess he was either just like feeling spunky or feeling kind of down. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he was just kind of like, you know. This is just the best name for it. I'm going to call it Dead Horse Camp because that's just what that's fucking what it is. He's he's a realist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is where a horse died. So, 
So, yeah, that was the very last communication from that point on. They were basically never seen or heard from again. Huh. It's generally accepted that they met with a violent death, you know, at the hands of some hostile natives. Right. Um, there's two kind of theories. The the Kalapalos tribe were the last to actually see them. They did have a story of three white men who came to the village. Now, one goes that they had lost their, I guess, maybe the tradition was that you gave uh, the natives gifts when you encountered them in hopes that they would not, like, kill the shit out of you. Kill the shit out of you. Yeah. <laughs> so somehow, like, before encountering um, the Kalapalos, they had lost the gifts that they were intending to give them. Oh. And so they kind of came to them empty-handed, like, and they yeah. were not cool with that. And they murdered them. Uh. And the story went that they dumped the bodies of his son and his son's friends into the river, but then they buried Percy because he was, you know, older and stuff. So they gave him like a proper burial. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And there's actually some people that kind of like went and talked to this particular tribe. And so the one story they got from that tribe was where they had killed him and they allegedly produced the bones of Percy Fawcett, but oh. then testing on the bones proved that that was not actually Percy Fawcett. Just some bones. Yeah, and so then some other dude goes out there and talks to these same natives, and they give a different account. They said that they did come to the village, but they stayed for a while in the village that they were ill, um, suffering from, you know, who knows the fuck what. Probably malaria. Out there. <laughs> fucking everything. Yeah, and that eventually... Dysentery, fucking God. Yeah, that eventually they did move on after staying there for a little while to continue their journey but that the Kalapalos had tried to talk them out of it because they said that you know kind of beyond them were several other very hostile tribes that would probably kill them right like you guys are gonna go that way and you're gonna die and yeah exactly and that for five days they saw uh smoke coming from what was probably their campfire yeah at night for five days straight and then nothing and so their assumption was is that one of these other tribes killed them. Right. And then there was some kind of like half-brained theory that some guy had about that Percy never intended to come back at all and that he started some cults out there <laughs> with a local native tribe where they like worshipped his son uh, as like the cult. I don't know. It was just really like, oh, wow. all right. what the fuck? <laughs> but maybe, I mean, <laughs> shit. So yeah, so that basically like, Percy became like a weird cult leader right. out there in the jungle and Jim Jones and yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. still never seen or heard from again but apparently right. like that made more sense than the fact that probably just like hostile natives fucking killed them or they or eventually anything. died of disease I mean wild animals yeah could have been wild animal I mean, disease could have been anything everything in That's... one of his previous um Probably I think when he was doing his surveying work out there, he claimed to have killed a 62-foot anaconda. My God. And people like kind of mocked him, but I don't know. There's some big fucking snakes out there. Yeah, but I believe uh, Teddy Roosevelt put a bounty out on like a 
really big like if someone could bring him a snake of a certain size they got a certain amount of money Hmm. and no one ever has so the snake hasn't been found that's the this particular size and i can't remember the size uh you know google it if right but you know right maybe maybe but i mean there's a lot of other ones like the giant like giant spiders and um, yeah yeah yeah, like the dogs with two snouts that is actually like a thing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he just encountered all sorts of like crazy animals out there. So the fact that you found encountered one that could fucking kill you. I mean, the fucking insects out there can kill you. The frogs kill you. Yeah, but the frogs aren't so aren't, many. Yeah, they're not so like many things fucking kill you. Aggressive. Out there. <laughs> no, but there's just a lot of poisonous shit out there. There is a lot. There is, mm-hmm. there is, you're not, you're not fucking So plenty of things could have uh, poisoned them. They could have starved to death. Oh, Disease any, could have gotten anything. them. Not enough water. Or, I mean, anything. Or, you know, unfriendly, hostile. Yeah. Natives that were just like, every uh, other white person they'd ever seen came in to exploit them. So they're going right, to kill you. Exactly. Like, it's just shocker. like, Oh, what do you think you're doing here? Yeah. <laughs> like, no, back off cracker. Mm. Man, so, so yeah, I think probably killed by natives, disease, starvation, some poisonous wild thing. That was probably the the most likely. Those were the most likely things to have Occurred. killed Percy Fawcett yeah. and uh, his two companions. I, I I don't really buy into the whole cult thing. Yeah. I mean, maybe if they actually had some goods with them that they could have, like, bribed these folks with, but they didn't. So, yeah. That's a bummer. That is a bummer. Did you know that Percy Fawcett was friends with Sir Arthur Conan Doyle? Oh, was he? Yeah. Somehow I'm not surprised. (laughs) And it's actually a lot of his... um, his findings when he was out there doing the the surveying work in Brazil and Bolivia, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle actually drew upon a lot of those writings for his book, The Lost World. Wow. Mm-hmm. A little fun fact there. Yeah. Well, also not surprising because that's kind of the environment you would like imagine in prehistoric times. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> And, yeah, basically, that's the story of Percy Fawcett's pursuit for the lost city. He did not find it. Um, yeah. And no one has really found it yet. There have been some modern-day attempts also to, to find El Dorado, all of which have basically turned up some interesting leads. But and they find shit all the definitive. time because there's all kinds of shit around there, but they just haven't found El Dorado. <laughs> not something that is, like, yeah, decisively. Yeah. Like, this is it kind of like another place where we've had some leads and found some things but not nothing ever decisive nothing ever decisive which would be atlantis that's right the lost city of atlantis the earliest writings we have referencing atlantis are from plato's timius and critias a book written in 350 bce this is basically a book broken into two pieces the first timaeus is a description of how the earth was created and the second Critias talks about Atlantis. Today, as you probably have guessed, we'll be focusing on Critias. 
These may be the earliest writings, but they aren't a first-hand account. The story comes from Critias's grandfather, who heard it from an Athenian statesman and poet named Solon, who lived 300 years before Plato, who had learned it from an Egyptian priest who just had the information, possibly written on some walls, like literally somewhere in hieroglyphs or something. Yeah, because it wasn't the the demise of Atlantis basically like 9,000 years before Plato is around. Yeah, like the time frame is basically like the war that they speak of it was 9,000 years before this story is being told. So right around yeah. like 9350 BCE. So Atlantis was founded sometime before that. Mm-hmm. So a long fucking time before a long fucking time ago. That's right. Some, some, quite some time ago. Uh, after the Titans were put down by Zeus and the gang, the planet was divided up between the gods. This was done pretty much amicably, and each god was happy with what they were given. Uh, the gods got to what gods get to and started creating races of humans. This was a pretty laid-back, benevolent time, and the gods were helping the humans, and everyone was chill and happy. And also intermarrying. Yeah, that's, that's what they do. That's what they do. So Poseidon was the one who got the oceans and thus Atlantis. And, and yeah, he got this uh, island in the Atlantic Ocean. Mm-hmm. It's placed outside the Pillars of Hercules, which is present-day Strait of Gibraltar. Heracles. Heracles, Hercules, <laughs> it's all the same guy. Uh, it's about. It's said to be the size of Libya and Asia Minor put together. But those the areas of those two places aren't the same then as they are now, so I'm unsure of the actual size of Atlantis, according to Plato. About 5.7 miles inland, 9.2 kilometers, there's a hill. The hill is near the center of the island and is surrounded by the most fertile plains on Earth. The hill was also called home by Evanor and his wife Leucippe and their daughter Cleito. To quote Plato, these people are, quote, the original Earth-born inhabitants, unquote. So it's like Adam and Eve before Adam and Eve? Well, it refers to the concept of autochthon. This can mean that they were either literally born from the land, like they were created from the land, mm-hmm. or they're the original inhabitants of the land. So the Native Americans would have been this concept you know because they were the original inhabitants of the land before white people came Mm -hmm. and fucked everything up regardless cleito reaches whatever marriageable age was back then which was probably something fucked up like 12 and her parents die Mm -hmm. it's not said how they die but they do and then poseidon has sex with her and then they have like five sets of boy twins five sets of male twins and he feels he needs to protect her so he starts messing with the island this hill in the center is surrounded by water, which is surrounded by a ring of land, followed by a ring of water, followed by land, which then is surrounded by the ocean. I guess Cleito hangs out in the center island, which has a palace, a shrine, and a couple springs. And wasn't like the palace carved from the mountain that was I believe central. so. That yeah. sounds like Poseidon's style. Mm-hmm. From one of the springs flowed cold water, and from the other flowed hot water. And at this point in history, there was no boats, so water was good enough. Like, he didn't need to worry about anyone getting to his probably very young captive, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so five sets of male twins. Sounds like a lot of work. 
Yeah. A lot of pain. The firstborn of the eldest twins was king and ruled over the center island, and each other's son got a bit of the island to govern. Uh, for many generations, the sons had children who had children. Uh, the island prospered, and the kings of Atlantis knew wealth and power that had not been seen before and had not been seen at the time of the writing. And the oldest son was Atlas. Atlas, yeah, that was his name. And that's why it's named Atlantis and the Atlantic Ocean. Yes. Because of this vast wealth, they imported goods, even though the island produced more than enough quantity and variety of food, that the importing was unnecessary, but they did it anyway. Uh, In addition to food, there was also abundant minerals to mine, including one called Oracalc, which was second in value only to gold. It is unknown what this metal was or if it actually existed. It could have been some sort of like high-grade copper. It's, it's really hard to say. As time progressed, so did Atlantis. The Atlanteans began upgrading. They built bridges over the water rings and built all kinds of statues to honor gods, kings, queens. There was temples everywhere dedicated to all the different gods. There was like a horse track, barracks, harbors full of boats. At this point in history, there's boats now. Outside the city, there were ample forests, as well as mountains, rivers, and lakes, a few other towns and shit like that. I mentioned earlier that they had ample food. The reason for this is because they had two harvests each year. One was the normal seasonal harvest, and the other one was a result from all their irrigation. They were just really good at it, so that produced another harvest. So tons of tons of food. Well, it seems like with their hot and cold water and their uh, intricate circular waterways and such... They're pretty much uh, good to go. Yeah. Plato refers to their military in terms of the Greek military of the day. He speaks of hoplites, archers, chariots, slingers, etc. So that doesn't really scream advanced society to me. Uh, He doesn't mention anything about them having any sort of special weapons. Uh, He did say they had an unlimited manpower due to the population of the island and a monster navy. There was like tens of thousands of each of the different kinds of troops. So they had just... A shitload of troops. But again, he didn't say anything about like flying things. It's just he referred to them as in the military terms of the day. So, flying things? Like, why would there be flying things? Well, an advanced society would make flying craft. And so, if Atlantis was that, was like super advanced, they would, you know, you'd expect that they would have flying craft as well. Right. And so, if that was the case, then Plato would be like, yeah, and they had like machines that flew in the air or like, Something, but mm-hmm. he didn't mention anything about that. So. No, he didn't mention anything about that, probably because that was just a really uh, modern concept. So they weren't that advanced, <laughs> is what I'm saying. Well, yeah, it just it just would be odd. I, I, w- I would think it would be odd to come across something like that in any... That would be fucking that crazy. Time. That would blow our minds to come across an ancient flying machine right. that we found out worked. Or just, just the idea of it, because that's just something that's so... It, that would be like Plato writing about television, like they have. Well, no, because if you, but if he saw television, I mean, he would be a box with pictures on it. Now, if he saw something, he'd be like a chariot in the sky, or you know, a it was like a bird, but it was made from by man or something. There would be some way if you can see it. There's something you can say about it, especially if you're Plato and you're a writer and you're all smart and stuff. Well, yeah, but I think but, the same could be said for a television then. Right. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> but he didn't see it, and so he didn't write it, is what I'm also saying. 
the reason that Atlantis fell, according to Critias, is because throughout the ages, the descendants of the original kings kept mixing their blood with humans until it became so diluted they could no longer rule with moderation and got super power hungry like, you know, humans do. Right. Greed is a big uh, flaw of the human condition. This is when they launched their navy and started taking shit over. And they took a bunch of shit over. They had most of the known world was theirs. Yeah, like Egypt and Libya and all kinds of places. Eventually, they were turned back by an alliance headed by the Athenians from, you know, Athens, Greece. Yes. Zeus saw everything going on and got pissed off. So he decided it was time to punish them. The last lines in Critias, I'll read verbatim. He, Zeus, accordingly summoned all the gods to his most glorious abode, which stands in the center of the entire cosmos and looks out over the whole realm of becoming. And when he has assembled them, he spoke. And that's it. The rest of the document is lost to history. <laughs> Threw a cliffhanger there. Yeah, it's yeah. Like- like and that's said, what? what what did he say it's like and he spoke like we're just about to find out what zeus is going to say about atlantis and, and he obviously yeah. it's something profound it's obvious i mean it's he's you know, gonna it's sink zeus. the motherfucker yeah. i think is what he's getting at but mm-hmm. unfortunately we don't get to i mean what is, is it like hasta la vista baby like what kind of i don't know actually what kind of line does he use to imply their demise, I don't know. their impending demise. No one alive knows, unfortunately. <laughs> in 1627, a book was written by Francis Bacon called The New Atlantis. This was just a novel about a super sciencey place no one knew about. Also in the 1600s, a man named Athanius Kircher lived and died. He was born in 1602 as a German and at some point became a Jesuit. The Jesuits are a kind of Catholic that since their creation has been a bit of a controversial bunch. Mm-hmm. That may be one that we talk about in a later episode as well because it's pretty interesting. Yeah, it is. Some sources say that Kirchner was the first person to seriously look into Atlantis. At first, he didn't think Atlantis was anything more than an old story. He began researching ancient myths and found them all strangely similar in stories and archetypes, which, you know, he ain't wrong. Right. Well, didn't Plato, didn't the Critias say anything about how it was destroyed? I thought it said it, it talked about it, it being destroyed in one day and one night. Oh, it was like a, a shooting star hit it or something, or it was like the volcanoes or earthquakes. or uh, It was in, it actually, I read the Critias and it didn't actually tell you how it gets destroyed. I believe it's in Timaeus that talks about its destruction. Okay, but in it does say that though, like that it was destroyed in, in one night, day and one in night. One day and one night, and like the, like the there's major earthquakes, and it basically like swallowed up the city, and it was sank, it sunk to the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. That's what they, yeah, 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 sank beneath the waves, and that's what I assume Zeus was said was like we're gonna. Right, right. I just feel like we kind of ended with the cliffhanger, but then didn't say beyond that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of missed, kind of missed that whole point. Jumped on to the next one. Yeah. So back to Kirchner. He was researching ancient myths and found them all similar in stories and archetypes. The biggest one being the Great Flood trope, because that is basically everyone talked about it. Native Americans talked about it, and there was no way that they could have heard it from some Greeks. 
who talked about it or the Babylonians who talked about it. And they just, it just, there's no way it happened. So this guy thinks that the, the story of the demise of Atlantis was, um, remembered culturally in the story of the great flood. Okay. That due to, you know, because of the earthquakes and the, the sinking of it and the tsunamis that came, mm -hmm. that it in fact flooded everything. And then, uh, you know, that's, that's where this story has come from. Mm -hmm. He thought that this was the older parent civilization that, taught these other cultures their traditions as well just some of the other random like how there's pyramids all over the earth and that sort of thing uh, eventually kirchner found himself in the vatican library looking through a shitload of books his area of focus was documents from imperial rome and he found something it was an old but well-preserved leather map this map showed an island with the words infula atlantis written on it it was somehow revealed that this map was from the first century ce egypt and had been brought to Rome. Kirchner copied the map and included it in a book he published in 1665 called Mundus Subterraneus, translated as The Subterranean World. Apparently, the original map disappeared after 1680, but Kirchner's copy remains. Interesting. It's like, no, I really did copy it from this other... <laughs> it's still, you know, pretty old. It I mean, is Not as old. old as the first century on leather, but... Yeah. And who knows? I mean, he was down in the Vatican Library. Maybe the Vatican took it. They're like, nah, we got to squash you, this uh, Atlantis this up, talk. It's like, wait a second, what the fuck is this? Yeah, <laughs> burn it immediately. Or no, just keep it in the in with the rest of the stuff. You know, toss it with all of Jesus's foreskins we've got down here. Otis Rudbeck, a Swedish Renaissance man and contemporary of Kirchner, also believed that Atlantis existed. He started writing a book in 1679 called Atlantica which he would work on until his death in 1702. This is a four-volume doorstop set of books tracing Atlantean culture to Norse myths. His research says that around 24 to 2200 BCE, Atlanteans came to Sweden and showed the locals how to do stuff, specifically shipbuilding, and other things that would lead to the Viking Age, which would range from the 9th to the 12th centuries CE. Interestingly, the earliest known Bronze Age settlements date to around 24 to 2200 BCE in the area of Sala, where Rudbeck claimed the Atlanteans arrived. Hmm. In 1882, Ignatius L. Donnelly, remember him? No. Former U.S. congressman, wrote mm -hmm. a book called Atlantis, the Antediluvian World. Okay, yeah, now I know. Yeah. I, just, I think I just, Donnelly was the only thing that I remembered remembered yeah this is another guy from the hollow earth episode mm -hmm. uh, this is a book that really brought atlantis into popular culture and a lot of people base the ideas in this book on what they see as truth today mm -hmm. according to theosophists like the atlantic ocean was only a couple hundred feet deep right <laughs> according to theosophists atlantis did not all sink at one time but in stages the last island was swallowed by the waves in 9564 BCE. It's believed that this was also what caused the Great Flood that damn near every culture on Earth was talked about, has talked about. This followed the fall of Lemuria by about 200 years. There's a bunch of different ideas here. Mm -hmm. And they kind of all follow the same thing, and they're all in roughly the same areas. Right. The Atlantean people were quite advanced. 
They were very adept healers, harnessing crystals and light to fix all manner of ailments. Oh, they used crystals. Yeah. Oh, how enlightened of them. Lose a hand, no problem. Take care of that shit. It's like, let me fucking charge my crystals. Did they charge the crystals with the sun? You know, like Probably. Day? Probably. They <laughs> probably charge it with the moon and the sun and like probably all kinds of stuff. All kinds of light. Because they use light and crystals. Less spiritually advanced than the Lemurians, Atlanteans were just as technologically on point. It was originally Lemurians who colonized and built Atlantis. Over thousands of years, they became autonomous from the Lemuria, similar to the USA and Britain. Evolution of these now Atlanteans took a turn. No longer did they shapeshift, and no longer had the third eye the Lemurians did, though they did retain some psychic powers. Here's another version of the altercation between Lemuria and Atlantis. Oh, yay. As Lemuria gradually sank, the Lemurians gladly gave sanctuary to their cousins. Once the two peoples were in closer proximity, however, things started going bad. The Lemurians were far more psychic than the Atlanteans, which created some awkward social situations. Uh, they could still shapeshift, which the Atlanteans thought were pretty cool. So what did they do? Secret genetic tests. They wanted the ability back that they had lost generations ago. So they kept in some dark government labs Lemurians in cages like monkeys today. In general society, Lemurians were getting discriminated against as well. They were sometimes forcibly given corrective surgeries, so they more closely resembled the Atlanteans. Mm. Uh, they also were some vowed to not use their psychic abilities, and some had them somehow disabled. In this legend, there is not a war, no retribution by the gods, simply a series of volcanic eruptions that over time destroy the Atlantean continent as they're doing all these human rights violations to the Lemurians. There are a few events similar to the sinking of Atlantis that we know happened. Right around 5600 BCE, the Mediterranean Sea overflowed, its water busting through the Bosporus. This flooded salt water into the Black Sea, which at the time was about half its current size. In under a year, hundreds of feet of salt water caused the locals to run for higher ground. It's likely this also fucked up the flora due to all the salt. Yes, well, that would make a difference. That would fuck some shit up. Water salinity is very important. Yes. The Minoans are believed to be the first great European civilization. They lived on Crete and Santorini. At the time, it was called Thera. Right, so Sant I think I thought Santorini encompasses both islands. That's possible. Yeah, Crete and Thera. That is that is quite possible. They had paved roads and like dope ass palaces. Mm -hmm. Evidence of their existence is there up until about 1600 BCE, when suddenly there's nothing. Right, but right around that time, there was a giant fucking volcanic eruption yep there happened. was a, an earthquake that triggered the volcanic eruption mm -hmm. and the volcano erupted on thera yep and there was 10 million tons of ash rock and gas that it spewed out that's a lot and then there was tsunamis yes so that could well you know be a target for like a place being atlantis you could have seen that from a ways away it was a pretty major event that happened, and this isn't right when you hear the last from the Minoans. There is, it seems it's about like 50 years later that they actually, there's like nothing at all anymore. But the tsunami and the volcanic eruption and all that 
it's thought would have left them in a weakened state and left them open to attack by the Greeks. Right, or by literally anybody at that point, right, probably. Right, I mean, it, it was probably a pretty disheartening time, to say oh, the yeah. least. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. We'll, we'll call it disheartening. Mm-hmm. And I see, I do see where there's like similarities to Atlantis, to where it was, it was a you know very prosperous place, and then there was like this great event that happened that pretty much destroyed the civilization. Yeah. However, I mean, Crete is still there, Thera is still there. They didn't. Yes, the islands didn't disappear. Didn't they literally didn't disappear, disappear, and their civilization actually did go on for a while following this. It's just that they were no longer the great civilization mm-hmm. they once were yeah yes well what about possible locations of of atlantis well there are some who think it's exactly where plato says it is that uh the strait of heracles is the strait of gibraltar pillars of heracles the pillars of heracles sorry um the Strait of Gibraltar basically joins the Mediterranean Sea and the Atlantic Ocean. And there is a professor named uh, Richard Freund. He believes that the Atlantis is basically beneath the marshlands of Doniana National Park in Spain. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's been a few artifacts found that would date back to the appropriate time, but the most compelling evidence he has is that about 120 miles inland, there's a place, Cancho Rono, and there's ruins of these, like, mini cities. There's, like, a series of them. And Freund is convinced that these are memorial cities, that these were these cities were made in memoriam to the city of Atlantis because the way they're built models how Atlantis was supposed to look. Ah, so he hypothesizes that Atlantis did exist. There there has been evidence of major tsunamis in that area. And that basically one took out the city of Atlantis, but not everyone died. Some managed to escape and that these refugees basically built these ruins as a memorial to their lost city. Right, right, yeah. And, like I said, there's been a couple of artifacts found, and then, yeah, there's, like, these kind of miniature uh, city ruins around there, but they haven't excavated anything definitive yet that is definitely the ruins of Atlantis. Yeah, yeah. The marshland is covered by water about, like, 11 months out of the year or something. Makes it difficult to excavate. Oh, yeah, and also very expensive. Oh, yeah. So... So far, they haven't had any success in. No, I imagine not. Getting the funds and the. Yeah. Because even that one month, I'm sure it's not dry. No. It's just not covered in water. No. Yeah. And really, I mean, if you're going to do a major excavation, you can't do it in one month. So, not a lot of time. And it's very, uh, it would be very tenuous and, yeah, not enough money to fund all that. Yeah. Time and hardship. Now, is that different from the Cyclades Plateau? I believe so. Because that's an area in the Mediterranean that connects the Cyclades Islands. It's an under. It's like a submerged 
area, and it seems to match the description that Plato gave in his account as to how Atlantis is supposed to look. And so it's just a submerged plateau. Hmm. There's even a theory that 12,000 years ago, the Earth's crust shifted, and this Atlantis repositioned the South Pole oh, yes. and now became Antarctica. Antarctica. So that was... that theory was uh by charles hapgood he wrote a book in 1958 called earth's shifting crust yes and that was what put forth the theory that atlantis was actually antarctica just had been displaced and uh covered in you know tons of ice obviously as you as happens when you're the south pole um but yeah i don't it's pretty much been proven since then that that's that's not how like tectonic plate shifting no it's not how that shit works yeah so that's not yeah that's that's not that's not it that's not it there are some writings that suggest that something from space destroyed the island of atlantis not aliens but a giant hunk of rock or ice in west thebes there is a temple called medinet habu in this temple the walls document a war or altercation of some sort with a group of people called the sea people they don't know who the sea people are. Are they like crab people? No, that would be awesome, though. <laughs> crab people. No, they're just people that were <laughs> harassing everyone on the coast for a long time and fucking shit up, and they didn't know where they came from. They just called them the sea people. Maybe they were mermaids. I don't know, but it's possible. Atlantis is written as mainly a sea power, so it could make sense that other civilizations may know them as the sea people. At any rate, the writings on the walls tell of how Sekhmet, an Egyptian goddess, got rid of the sea people. It basically says she killed a bunch of them, a bunch ran off, and then she sent a shooting star to the island, which then sank. Damn, she had some power. She was a goddess. We know that comets are everywhere, and evidence shows that many times in history, the planet may have been tagged by barrages of meteors that could easily destroy a civilization. Specifically, scientists believe that around 3,100... 2200, 1682, and 1198 BCE, these such barrages occurred. So a long time ago. Long time ago, yes. Well, I have just a couple of footnotes on some more theories. My favorite actually being that Atlantis is just purely fictional. <laughs> no, that's not. And, and that Plato was basically just writing the story as it's it's an allegory for what happens when you are greedy and want more than what you need and yeah i mean that's that's very much people think that maybe that's what plato intended it as right intended yeah that as. he didn't he didn't actually mean it to be something uh that was it wasn't supposed to be like literal yeah yeah and that may well be the case Unfortunately, we don't. We, we, we don't ask him. We don't know because we lost. You know, a bunch of it was lost. Mm-hmm. I actually ended up purchasing that book, right? Because I found it at a used bookstore. It was like five bucks or something. Like, oh well, I'll you know buy this. And you know, it was. I read. I didn't read Timaeus because mm-hmm. that was the longer of the two, and I didn't have the time. I did read Critias, and it was actually good. It was actually well written. It was interesting to read. Like a lot mm-hmm. of these older things are not really great to read but plato is actually a good read i'm going to end up reading the entire thing yeah i just didn't i the only reason i didn't is i didn't have the time so it was a a nice surprise i'm glad i bought it 
Yeah, and I, it's kind of what I would think, too. I think Atlantis probably was fictional. But that's not to say that cities that are, were once thought to be fictional actually did exist. Troy was one of those. Uh, yeah, so yeah. Homer's The Iliad is where you read about uh, the legendary city of Troy. Right, which everyone's always trying to trying to nail down. People are always trying right. to nail down the location of the Garden of Eden, mm-hmm. which, though not a city, is pretty close to a city, you know. But Troy was actually found in 1870. Oh, did they actually find Troy? Yeah, so a guy, uh, Heinrich Schleiman, found the lost city of Troy. Well, he basically damned. read Homer's Iliad as a... He, he just quite literally like looked for the landmarks and actually uncovered it. And there's there's pretty solid proof that this was actually Troy. Crazy. That he found. But up until that point, anybody out there looking for the lost city of Troy, it was like basically like looking for Atlantis. It's just like, that's just a made-up place by some Greek guy. And, or just some bullshit. Yeah. Right, right. Like, that wasn't a real place when actually it was. So... There is that. Or imagine when they actually did find Pompeii and they suddenly is this city that they didn't know was there. And there's like, what the fuck is this? Right. Although Pompeii, I'm going to say that was like a lost city, but I, I don't know that there was a lot of legends about it or things written about it. To oh, no. Were, it was but, completely you know. forgotten about. Yeah. It was just some fucking city in Italy that was forgotten about. Right. And, you know, a lot of the cities around got hit with the volcano too, but Pompeii was completely. Yeah. Like decimated by it. Yeah. And then there's another interesting fact. There's a, did you know that in the Baltic Sea, there is a Swedish Atlantis? Oh, is there? Yes. So in 2009, uh, some underwater archaeologists found some like fishing net that was dated back to be like carbon dated to be like about 9,000 years old. Oh, damn. Yeah. So that's old as fuck. Mm-hmm. So, they're so thinking fast forward Atlantis. a few years and they've been doing some excavating and have now uncovered what is thought to be like a complete um, Mesolithic fishing village. I'll be damned. And some sources say 9,000 years. Another uh, couple said 11,000 years old. Wait. So, so where is this again? It's in the Baltic Sea. In the Baltic Sea. Like, so, as so, in the. So, where, what if the Baltic Sea anomaly was actually a craft that they used back in the day on, in, like, an Atlantis sort of thing? And they just, like, it crashed and no one found it until recently. Huh. You know, I hadn't thought about that. I thought maybe the, the Baltic Sea anomaly was, like, kind of like. Like part of like some like pillar or plateau that they might have had in the city. Oh, maybe that could have been like part of that, or it could have been you know a mm-hmm. vehicle. You know. Yeah, I don't think it's a vehicle. I I would say it was you know maybe part of a structure. But something. But something. It I couldn't really find anything like linking the two, the Baltic Sea anomaly with this. Right. Discovery. It's but... weird that we didn't like in our research for the Baltic Sea and anomaly. It didn't just like pop up this Baltic Sea Atlantis too. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess maybe the I mean the Baltic Sea is a big place. That's true, but it's so not. Maybe they're far enough apart where it's like they're just it doesn't. I guess, but like it seems like one is related to seems, the other. I mean, that's there. It is a big place, but not compared to the whole world. I mean, it's still pretty well, yeah. close to one another yeah. as opposed to like being. If they found this in in North America somewhere, mm-hmm. they would be like, okay, well, there's no correlation there. But if it's within a few hundred miles, even it's like, come on. But yeah, 2014. I'll be damned. Mm-hmm. So pretty recent, but yeah. still, yeah. 
it, it is interesting that can't really find anything linking the two and doing research for one doesn't pop up the other. I guess I'm saying that I still kind of feel like Atlantis was made up. Lemuria 100% did not fucking exist in my opinion. <laughs> but I'm not going to say never. I'm going to never say never when it comes to something like that. Because... Like maybe not how it's said and how, how the theosophers right. say and all that. But, but maybe there is. Maybe there was something mm-hmm. similar. And maybe there were advanced people, and it's just been so long that we can't find the remains anymore. I mean, right? Or who the knows? remains are just in a really uh, bad place to be found. Who knows what iron looks like after fifty thousand years? Because we, as far as we know, we haven't had iron for fifty thousand years. Mm-hmm. You know, like you know, as far as you know, making an iron tool, not like iron, right? Yeah. Not and just ore. depending on where it ended up, I mean, how how much is left and. Yeah, maybe it and turns it, to rock mm. if it's in brackish water. You know, who knows? Yeah. So I'm not going to say never say never as far as Atlantis goes. There might yet be something discovered that would link it to the, the city that Plato referenced. But it's too bad we don't have the rest of that damn book. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's it for Lost Cities. Don't forget to join our Facebook group, The Strange Space. And we will talk to you next time. And stay strange. Do you enjoy the Stranger Than podcast? Please let us know. Rate and comment on iTunes. Check out and like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash stranger than podcast. Our Twitter at underscore stranger than or drop us an email, stranger than podcast at gmail.com. That's stranger than podcast, all one word at gmail.com. Also, feel free to email us any strange, mysterious, or misunderstood stories or topic suggestions that you'd like to share or hear about.